Hey there, and welcome to episode 18 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. Once again, this is your host, Greg Lindbergh. On this episode of the podcast, we feature part one of an interview with Tyler Marin, who is a highly accomplished uh, goalball player, uh, Paralympic medalist, also uh, very big into just personal fitness. He is a personal trainer and has his own business and a huge advocate for just personal fitness and staying in shape uh, in terms of helping the blind and visually impaired community. So let's start off with part one with Tyler Marin. All right, so joining me on this episode of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast, we have a uh, Paralympic medalist in goalball, and he's also a personal trainer, motivational speaker, and all-around definitely advocate for sports and recreation uh, for the blind and visually impaired. So I'd like to introduce Tyler Marin. Tyler, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you having me here, Greg. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks so much for for joining me. And I I did want to mention I have kind of been following you on Facebook and the USABA page. I know you've done some videos and stuff. And so that's kind of how I was, you know, really introduced to you. And we can definitely get into that more a little bit later, but uh, definitely appreciate you coming on. It's an honor to have you. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that, that's been a great project. I've really enjoyed doing that and got a lot of irons in the fire right now. So super stoked to talk to you about sports in general. I love it. Cool. Alrighty, let's dive in. So uh, I know that on your website and you kind of have a theme, I guess, if you want to call it, you know, around the concept of a champion and kind of what it means to be a champion, not only in sports, but in life. And I'd kind of like to start off with that. If you could just maybe expand on that a little more and kind of why you promote that specific message when i first started looking into becoming a motivational speaker and kind of sharing that that idea of a legacy right like what what am i leaving behind you know as as an athlete uh, i spent a ton of time trying to um make myself the best i could be i want to you know win all the the medals and and i wanted to travel to every competition i could find but at some point, right, you got to look at it and say, okay, I've, I've done all this great stuff for, for me, but what have I done for the guys around me? And so I started looking at this, this idea of being a motivational speaker, sharing my experience. And that theme, that idea of being a champion just kind of kept coming back to the surface. And, and to be honest with you, Greg, I kind of pushed back against it a little bit to start with saying, like, ah, it's just so cliche. Like, yeah, being a <laughs> champion, everybody wants to be a champion, right? Right. But, you know, the more that I thought about it, the more I thought, okay, what is it that defines a true champion? You know, so when we talk about the idea of is a champion a gold medalist? Is a champion always the guy who's on the top of the podium, the number one? Or is a champion somebody who who wakes up every day and pushes themselves to be better than they were the day before is a champion somebody who doesn't let fear sit in the driver's seat you know somebody who decides that it's possible and who seeks greatness within themselves uh and that's something that i try to promote um and and i think that's been something that's helped me a lot as an athlete you know you know as well as anybody, right? Like being an athlete doesn't mean you, or being a champion even doesn't even, doesn't mean you win every time. Exactly. Uh, but I think it, yeah, but I think it can mean that you win within yourself every time. And so I, I love sharing that message, uh, and and people tend to tend to vibe on that pretty well. Nice. That's awesome. That's that is even though, like you said, it's you know cliche maybe to some. I kind of like your your spin on it. So that is pretty neat. 
Now, as far as uh, just kind of your bio and, and, you know, who is Tyler Marin? Talk to us about where you were born, where you grew up, your early years. So I grew up in uh, southwest Michigan. Actually, I grew up in a pretty rural area. I grew up on a farm. I came from uh, a family of athletes. You know, my dad was a, a baseball player, football player. You know, he's an avid golfer to this day. My sister played four seasons of sports, you know, so it's definitely in my blood. And so... Growing up in in this kind of rural area, my parents noticed something about me that was a little bit different from my siblings, right? Like I, uh, when I was a kid, when I would look at people, I, I couldn't look at them straight in the eyes. My eyes would always kind of wander a little bit. And, you know, I'd come out of my room and go running, you know, through the house to go outside and play. And, like, I smashed into the couch or something and, like, I'd knock things over. And, like, you know, and I was a... I was a pretty tough kid. I didn't care. Like I get up, like oh, sorry, knock that over, and I start running <laughs> off. You know, like my yep. my parents are like, "What is wrong with this kid?" <laughs> and so, um, you know, when I was uh, you know four years old or so, three or four years old, they they took me to a specialist, and my parents found out that I had this eye condition that I was essentially going to be totally blind. And sadly enough, and and I. And I know this happens sometimes, but sadly enough, the specialist, you know, and talking to my parents, essentially painted the picture to them, like, you know, your son's going to be an invalid, essentially. Uh, he'll need to live in a home, special home. He'll need to be taken care of for the rest of his life. He'll have to go to a special school. Like, it was it was pretty devastating for them in, in a lot of ways. Uh, hmm. You know, my dad tells the stories, you know, about coming back from this appointment, and he's like, I just... I had to pull over to the side of the road and just breathe a little bit and just think he's, you know, I'm his firstborn son. He's got all these aspirations of star quarterback and <laughs> all of that. And yep. he's just been told his kid's going to be uh, helpless essentially. Right. Right. And um, so, you know, but my parents, thankfully um, they, they kind of understood the, the first principle of, of what I teach about being a true champion, I, even though they didn't really realize they understood it, but they didn't allow that fear to make decisions for them, right? They, they said, all right, well, he's not an invalid yet. You know, we see him running around. He's doing all this stuff. Let's, let's let him try. Let's put him in regular school. Let's, you know, let him, let him do what he can do. Uh, you know, and, and thankfully, I was blessed with a, a pretty sharp mind and, and, you know, good athleticism and stuff. And I excelled. I did a good job. In, in school, um, you know, fast forward several years, so I was, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old and really started losing a lot more vision. And that's when I started getting more services, learning how to use a cane, learning to read Braille. And that's when I was introduced to adaptive sports. So kind of up to that point, I had been a huge fan of basketball. I loved playing basketball. I enjoyed baseball. I just found it really challenging with my limited vision, uh, my tunnel vision. So basketball was my sport. And, and as that got more and more difficult to play, 14, let's see, I was 14 or 15 years old. I went to my very first sports education camp for visually impaired kids. Uh, I was super fortunate that um, Dr. Paul Ponchilla and his wife, Sue Ponchilla, they, they put on a sports education camp at Western Michigan University every year. Kids from across the nation would come in for this. They'd bring in, you know, 40, 45 visually impaired youth every year and teach them how to do 
gymnastics and, and wrestling and track and field and swimming and goalball, you know, was one of the sports that they taught and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was so cool. And I learned how I could kind of, uh, skirt around my, my visual impairment and still do these sports. So I went back out, uh, after that to, to my high school, I, I got set up on the wrestling team. I did track and field and started competing in goalball from there, which is, which is the sport that I excelled at the most. I, um, started traveling with the local team and competing. And uh, just two years after I picked up my first goalball, I actually made the USA team. Wow. And uh, yeah, started competing uh, internationally from there uh, at the age of 16. I, I turned 17, my very first international competition. Um, and just the rest is history. Like I, I, I've been to 15 different countries competing, uh, three Paralympic Games, four World Championships, all told international and domestic. I've won about 64, 65 medals in the sport of goalball. Uh, over the years, uh, been in a, just over a hundred competitions officially. So it's been an amazing, amazing road for sure. Yeah. And I know you mentioned just within say two years, three years to be competing internationally. I mean, that's a pretty quick rise. I got to imagine just in general. Uh, it was, it was just awesome. And, and a lot of pieces really fell into place. I, f- I felt super blessed and, and this may not sound like much of a blessing but when i when i first got started um you know they they recognized hey this is a kid with some you know some natural athleticism let's let's bring him out to to our club practices and let's see how he does but they they were pretty brutal like they put me up against the big boys right away like some of my first practices were against uh paralympic athletes who were living in michigan at the time and so it was. It was really a trial by fire. And, uh, I loved it, though. I, I love those kind of challenges, and, and just really took to it very quickly. Wow, amazing! And I know goalball is really regarded as you know the most popular sport for the blind. Why you know why would you say that is in your opinion? I think that's really interesting. Like I'm not sure that I would even phrase it that way as like the hmm. most popular, but. I'm certainly a little bit biased. Like I, obviously I really like it. <laughs> I've, sure. I've done it a lot, but you know, the thing that is maybe the most unique about the sport of goalball. Uh, so, you know, let, let's take the Paralympics for example, and I, I might be totally slicing these numbers up, but I want to say there's something like 28 uh, total sports in the Paralympic games. Uh, so between summer and winter games, uh, you know, you think like wheelchair basketball, uh, uh, wheelchair rugby, for example. These are Paralympic sports. Now, every single one of those sports is it's a mainstream game that's adapted for an athlete with a physical disability. Right. Um, you know, you have regular basketball and then you, you, you know, you set up wheelchair basketball. Goalball, though, goalball was invented right after World War II. So in, in 1946 or 47. Um, it was invented by uh, a couple Austrians in in Germany, and they said right away, like this is a sport for people who are blind. They had these blinded war veterans that came came back from World War II. I mean, they're the same jocks, the same athletes, and and you know, Greg, you can speak to that. Like, you're an athlete first, right? Your visual impairment doesn't define you. It's part of who you are, but it's not who you are. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. so these guys come back from from war. They're the same soldiers. It just you know the same guys, the same jocks, but they they've lost their vision. And they said we got to come up with something that these guys can do. And so they invented the goal ball. And throughout the years, it's kind of grown and developed into a big, fast paced international sport. And so uh, you know whether it's the most popular sport amongst blind athletes, I, I can't really say. Um, I'm a big fan of sports in general, but I think it's really got a unique history. I think it's a really cool history. And, um, you know, goalball is near and dear to my heart because when I was introduced to it, I was losing a lot of vision. And, you know, I dealt with that pretty well. But the thing about goalball is you play with a blindfold on. Um, right. So no matter what my vision level decreased to, it was all about my athleticism and what I could do on the court. So it's something I really loved uh, for, for multiple reasons, that one especially. Nice. Very cool. And then uh, I know you mentioned the Paralympic Games, and I definitely want to get into you know your experiences in those. And yeah. I believe it was uh, 2004 in Athens was your first uh, Paralympics. That was my first Paralympics. Uh, seems like forever ago. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, man, how do you how do you describe the Paralympics? Like, um, it, it's almost beyond you. You know, it's it's a show, right? It's a business. Um, yep. but there's still something really magical about it, you know? So I, I guess my, my very first time ever playing goalball was in 1999, uh, May of 1999, uh, fast forward two years, May of 2001, I'm in my first international competition. Um, in, uh, it was the Pan American games. Uh, they were actually in the United States. They were in Spartanburg, South Carolina, which was so cool. Cause a lot of my family could go to that very first one. Hmm. Um, a short couple of months later, because uh, we actually took second in that competition, so the you know the Americas at that point were still kind of developing their their talent pool, the different countries for the sport of sport of goalball. So we were able to take second place. It was pretty cool. Uh, lost a close game to Canada in the final match. Um, fast forward just just a handful of months months um, into early 2002, and we go to the World Championships in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And we essentially got our butts handed to us. <laughs> we were just shy of last place at the World Championships in, in uh, Rio. Uh, I'm sorry, Sao Paulo. Um, I want to say there were 16 teams there. So 15 out of 16. We, we were pretty beat up. Mm. After that tournament... Um, there was a new coach that was installed, really good guy. His name was John Bagos. He was actually a collegiate basketball coach. Stepped in and said, all right, we're changing this whole dynamic. One year later, he had, he had just put us through the ringer. He really upped our athleticism. He demanded so much more from us. And so one year later, 2003, we go to uh, our second opportunity to qualify for the Athens um, game. So the first opportunity was at the the. Um, Sao Paulo World Championships we missed it by a long shot but we went to the second qualifier and if we could take one of the top four positions in that tournament then we we could go to the the games in 2004 well we took second place in that tournament so really fought back and became a much better team qualified in in that 2003 tournament went to Athens in 2004 and took a bronze medal um, in a in a really great 
final match uh, that I is I would love to tell you the story about that one, but it, that was such a cool experience because essentially two years prior we, like I said, got run over at the World Championships and then really turned it around, made ourselves better, and went to Athens in 2004 and took a bronze medal, took third in, in the world. So that was wow. a, a really great experience. And just the, the lights and the, the fireworks and the, um, the marching into the stadium and the waving your flag and the, the suitcases full of shirts and hats and shoes that they give <laughs> you and pants. And it's just so cool. You just uh, It's hard to describe how awesome that experience is. Yeah, that's that's so neat. I know I did have Lex Gillette on here uh, on a past episode, who I'm sure you know, and he talked about yeah. just the you know the you know not only the competition but the the off the field, off the court type environment, and just the Olympic Village and how they really roll out the red carpet. You know, not it's only amazing. for for the Olympics but the Paralympics as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Like it, it, the experience is just so cool. Like, um, you know. Uh, I was I was blown away by it. That first experience was just so neat, uh, so really really big deal, um, and and walked away from that with uh, with a great great experience. Obviously, you know we we made it through the tournament, lost our semifinal match unfortunately to Denmark, but we played a bronze medal game against uh, Canada, and it was again kind of cool how we went through that experience because we we were actually. Uh, you know, the tournament was broken down into two 16 pools. Right. And um, top four crossed over. So if you were fifth or sixth in your pool, then you were out. We ended up being fourth in our pool. So we played the number one team from the other pool and upset them. And then uh, just missed our, our semifinal match, unfortunately, against Denmark. But we played Canada in the bronze medal match and came back from a, a four- uh, a four to one deficit at halftime to win the game five to five to four in the end. And I, I was able to score four of our five goals, including one that was uh, a penalty shot with 17 seconds left to put us up for the, for the, the winning point. So wow. just, yeah, just a, <laughs> such cool experiences, man. Like almost like movie script type stuff. It was just so neat to be able to, uh, to be part of that. That's great. Yeah. And I'm curious if you could just speak about, you know, the fans and the support that, that the Paralympic athletes get, you know, when you are actually competing and out there. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool experience and, you know, truly it, it kind of varies. Um, so being, having been part of three different games, I can tell you there's been experiences where we walked into the Paralympic Stadium and it was kind of disappointing. Like hmm. uh, I think it was in Athens, actually one of our one of our first games, maybe against Germany or something like that. The stands were not were not very full, unfortunately, and we were kind of like, "Oh, this is this is a little bit of a little bit of a bummer," right. um, you know. But that was the rare experience, um, you know, when we went to Brazil in 2016, and, and they're they're just so passionate in general the brazilian people are so passionate about their sports uh future arena i want to say seated six or seven thousand it might have been close to eight thousand and it was pretty much full every time that we walked in so it was Mm -hmm. it was a packed stadium and global again is is kind of one of those unknown loves right It, it people don't typically know too much about global 
But almost any time we bring somebody in and show them the game, whether they watch it or play it or volunteer for it, they, they tend to fall in love with it pretty quickly. So it's a, it's a huge draw at the games, and people who get a taste of it tend to come back and continue to watch the entire thing. Right. Interesting. And then uh, also just to clarify, you know, in terms of the Paralympics and goalball specifically, you know, how many how many matches would you actually play? Let's just say, for example, to actually win gold, how many different matches would you have to actually win? So uh, typically, and the, the numbers have changed uh, over these. Got to remember, Greg, I've been around for a long time. I'm one of the old guys now. So <laughs> like, sure, things, sure. Things have changed a little bit. So when when we went to Athens. You know, on the men's side, uh, so men's and women's divisions are separate, right? Um, yep. And uh, so on the men's side, it was two pools of six. So it was, it was the top 12 teams in the world. As of, I want to say it was the London 2012 games, our men's division was cut down to 10. So two pools of five. Right. Um, so, you know, for for Brazil, uh, for Rio, for example, you know, it, it's a it's a... Uh, semifinal, quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. So theoretically, you know, you just have to come out at least number four in your pool. So you would have to win one or two games at least out of your round robin. Out of the four, you'd want to win at least two, I would think. And then you'd have to win out your quarterfinal, semifinal, and final. So you could probably win five out of out of seven, five out of eight to to make it to the finals. Um, and and win a gold medal, but that's just how most you know that's how they're structured. I'm I'm guessing you know with you being a beat baseball player, maybe you kind of get a get a sense of how that how that structure works. Um, sure, sure, yeah, right. I know kind of the the round robin or the the different. <clears throat> obviously, there are different formats, different types of qualifying, yeah. and I would imagine it's similar similar feel. Yeah, it's it's truly a. Uh, you know, when you play at that kind of elite level, uh, most of the time it's that any given Sunday, it's like, you know, you, you can look at two teams and say, well, it's, it's a pretty good chance that this team will, will come out ahead, but you just never know. It's kind of who shows up with their A game and uh, who's got a little bit of the luck of the bounce that day. So um, it's it's a fight tooth and nail every single game when, it, when you get to the Paralympics. Right. That's awesome. I can just, I can only imagine being in that boat and with the adrenaline pumping and that's gotta be so cool. It is. It is such a cool experience and, and it's a different experience. And, you know, interestingly enough, it's a hard experience in some ways. So, you know, when we compete domestically, you know, when I play for, I I live in Indiana now, I, I lived in Florida the last six years and just recently moved up to Indiana with my family. And, um, so I play for uh, domestically for the Florida team. And so when we go to a domestic competition, the, the competition is, you know, typically two days, right? You play three or four games on Saturday. And if you make it to the finals, you play two or three on Sunday and you just, you know, smashing all these games and do a really short time. And when you go to the Paralympics, you've got that, that round robin schedule, you're playing seven games or so if you make it all the way to the end and that's over the span of like nine days, right? So right, very spread out. Oh yeah, and and like on the one hand, that's great because obviously you know your conditioning is a big part of any game. But like you get a you get time to recover. You're not playing back to back games and things. But mentally, it's, it can be so taxing, you know. Um, 
the downtime and just being away from the family, like there are very few drawbacks to go into the Paralympics, but that might be one of them. And it's just, uh, I think I, when I went to Brazil, I was gone for almost a month for that competition. Wow. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I worked full time, uh, as a personal trainer, so I missed a month's worth of pay and you know what I mean? So like that kind of stuff is just, <laughs> Oh yeah. It adds up. It takes a toll. It's for sure. And, and things you don't necessarily think about, like, you know, people flip on the Olympics or the Paralympics and they see somebody run two or three events and they don't realize what it took to get to that stage and, and the toll that it takes on the, uh, on those athletes mentally, physically, socially, financially, like it's a huge endeavor. No doubt. A lot of blood, sweat and tears and oh, for sure. financial commitments and it's, yeah, yeah, no question. Let's dive into just a little more specifically about goalball and talk to me about, you know, what are the keys to actually being successful on that court as a goalball player? So goalball, again, um, sport invented specifically for blind athletes. Um, and and just real quick crash course for anybody listening who may not be super familiar with it, but sure, you essentially have a, it's played indoors. You have a volleyball sized court, so it's nine meter by 18 meter court and at each end of the court that that nine meters that's the the full goal so each end of the court is the goal um there's typically a net set up at each end so paralympic level and national level we compete with a a full net that it kind of looks like a like an overstretched hockey goal essentially right and so it's about you know a meter and a half high it's the full nine meters wide um, goalball is a three-on-three sport, so you've got three players for each team kind of positioned in front of their goal. And the ball, it's, it's about the size of a basketball, but it's, it's a bit heavier. It's made out of a real thick rubber clay mixture, um, and it's pretty firm. It weighs about three pounds, and it's got, it's got bells inside of it. So as we toss it back and forth and throw it at the other team, it, it jingles and makes noise. So, you know, uh, like I said earlier, everybody, everybody wears a blindfold. And so you listen for the sound of those bells and you, and you put your body in front of the ball. So like a soccer goalie, all three players are kind of set in their positions. And, and as a unit, as a team, you'll, you know, block, block the ball with your, you know, your shins, your belly, your arms, you know, whatever you can put in front of the ball to stop it from going in the goal behind you. So, I think to be successful at goalball, there's a couple of things, and this is, you know, this is true for right beat baseball or any other sport. Like, starts with your athleticism, uh, in my opinion. You know, being stronger, faster, more flexible, more agile, more coordinated. Uh, you know, so uh, we do a lot of physical fitness preparation, uh, a lot of dynamic stretches, a lot of power lifts. Um, a lot of core stabilization exercises, you name it, we do it. Um, goalball is a pretty full body sport. So it starts there. Uh, good athleticism. Uh, I would say the next thing, just good communication skills. Um, and, and again, you being a, a beat baseball guy, you can probably attest to this. Like it's about working together as a team, right? Exactly. Um, yep. So good communication skills and, and uh, patience and spacing with your teammates is absolutely crucial in the sport of goalball. <laughs> and funny enough, the, the third thing, which, you know, most people might not think of, but uh, speaking to the, to the very beginners, 
Like if you find yourself strapping up one day to play a game of goalball you've never played before, one of the things that I think is so required to be successful is comfortable equipment. <laughs> so goalball is it's it's a dirty game. It's a rough game. You know where you know you're um, you're diving on the floor to to grab a ball to to block it to step up get up and throw. You're shuffling back and forth. You're down in a squat position. You're kicking out for the ball like. You're up and down a tremendous amount. And so a lot of times when people get into the game and they're starting it for the first time, they're, they're maybe, uh, I don't know, they're at some kind of charitable event, you know, or some kind of sports camp where there's a huge bag of like old volleyball knee pads and some hip pads and stuff. And somebody dumps it out on the floor and you're digging through it, trying to find stuff that fits you. And it's, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's itchy. It's, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not the best experience. So, um, you know, when I play, I, I wear, you know, long sleeve Under Armour uh, just to kind of protect myself from that friction burn from the floor. Um, you know, I've got form fitting hip pads and, um, you know, stuff that really protects me from the floor as much as the ball so that uh, I don't have to worry about getting scraped up and scuffed up. I can just focus on moving well and, and getting to the ball. So it's a. Uh, it's a, definitely uh, definitely a sport that can be uh, mentally challenging if you're not in a comfortable position. No doubt, and there definitely are a lot of parallels to beat baseball. You know, some some guys they want the knee pads or the elbow pads, or they they wear shorts or the long pants, or you know, there, there's just a lot of variety, and it really is whatever works for you. You know, that's that's the bottom line. Yeah, totally agree, and and. You know, when you find that and you know what you're comfortable with, you're not going to be distracted so much by it. So, yeah, you know, again, for anybody listening who's maybe tried it before and like, ah, I don't like that. It was uncomfortable. Yeah, it was probably uncomfortable because you didn't have very good equipment, not, you know, not by your own fault, you know, but give it a fair chance if you can get get some good equipment, really try the sport out. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Definitely. For sure. Don't forget to listen to episode 19 of the Eyes Free Sports podcast to catch part two of our conversation with Tyler Marin. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.